action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We are continuing our celebration of 21st century horror with Drag Me to Hell, directed by horror maestro Sam Raimi. My old-mannered bank clerk Christine falls foul of a curse placed on her by elderly gypsy woman Mrs. Garnouche. She now has three days to save herself before she is dragged to hell. I had never seen this film before. Really? Yeah. I remember it. Wow. I remember it at the time being billed as Sam Raimi's big return to horror. Yeah. Because he'd just spent the past almost decade dicking about with Spider-Man films. And it, the fact that it was called his return to horror put me off because I've never been a fan <laughs> of the Evil Dead films. I'm guessing you were. Uh, I loved Evil Dead 2. I think most people absolutely love Evil Dead 2. It's basically a, a soft remake of the first one, but yes. better. Um, and I didn't love the third one, Army of Darkness. So I'm kind of like half and half in the Evil Dead camp. But what about the first one? Because that seems to be as a horror film and as a cultural thing. But as a film, how do you feel about that first Evil Dead film? I think it's really fun. I think it is just what it is. It's like a low budget horror film that has some really fun tricks up its sleeve but I would always prefer to watch the second one because I just feel like they had a slightly bigger budget it was more focused more fun it kind of really lent into the zaniness of the situation Um, like I've got very little memory of the first one because I haven't watched it anywhere near as much as the second one right but the third you find too goofy the third is just all over the place, isn't it? Like, it's a, it's a fun idea. And it, I like that they, they, you know, shook it up and did something different. Took it out of the cabin. Get out of the goddamn cabin and into the woods. Into the woods. Did you see yeah. Ash vs. the Evil Dead, the TV show? No, it's on my watch list. And now it's, what, three, four seasons in? I'm, I feel like I'm ready to just binge it. Oh, I thought it was cancelled. I think maybe it has been cancelled. It's, oh, it's not cancelled. I think it's just finished, isn't it? Right. Well, I never watched it because I have no interest. (laughs) I've seen the Evil Dead remake, and I think I did prefer that to the originals. I just, I just never got on. I never saw the the appeal with Mm. it, and and the the shot where someone gets stabbed in the ankle with a pencil, I I I kind of found that repulsive, like unnecessarily Uh repulsive, and I guess I guess that's the point, but. I never really, I never really got on with it. The sort of the giggling spirit zombies in in the basement of the basement, just yeah. not my thing at all. So when Drag Me to Hell came around, I was like, "Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste my time with some Evil Dead nonsense." Mm-hmm. But I generally quite liked it. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a charming film. What? So what do you like about it? I think with with Sam Raimi, he's got such a unique style that mm. it can, for whatever reason, I don't know how he does it, it can go from moments of sheer hilarity, like the fight in the car where her teeth get knocked out. Yeah. And absolute terror. When she turns oh. around, when Mrs. Garnouche turns around in the bank, 
as she's being led out. Her head turns first, then her body, and then she's coming towards Christine. I jumped out my skin. And that (laughs) never happens to me because jump scares don't work with me. But the skill here, usually with a a jump scare, it's quiet, quiet, quiet. Boom. Big loud noise. Big, big loud noise. Here, the jump scares come out of nowhere. There isn't the build-up. He just does them and he does them so Mm. effectively they get very tiresome towards the end of the film but Mm. the first couple are a masterclass in how to use jump scares Mm. and they're never fake scares like similar to insidious the scares are never oh it's just a cat jumping through the window or oh it's just like my friend suddenly coming around the corner it's like no it's actually a demon or no it's a scary lady it's always and, and a he, real he kind scare. of plays into that because at one point we're in the house after she's been cursed she's had her button breathed on she's in the house <laughs> and you're hearing a noise and she looks out the window and she i mean we're led to believe that the noise is actually a squeaky gate blowing in the wind yeah but it undermines itself because it's not and that's when mm. the next impressive jump scare happens because suddenly the demon is there yeah I've got a theory about that squeaky gate sound um, because as the film progresses and scary stuff starts to happen, the more extreme it gets, the more um, Christine starts hearing the sound of like screeching, scraping metal and like really quite horrible sounds. And it's only at the end when you realise she's basically been hearing the sound of the train tracks. She's been hearing the screech of metal on metal of the train tracks. And it's almost like... We've been told how she's going to die, but we don't know that or until the get end. dragged to hell, not necessarily die. Well, yeah, I mean, she's probably dead in hell, isn't she? <laughs> well, to a certain degree, I would imagine. It's up to her to yeah. self-identify as dead. Thank you very much. <laughs> Everyone's self-identifying right now. So you're saying that the whole thing is inevitable? We're told it is, aren't we? We're like, this is an inescapable curse. And we're told in the first, in the prologue, when the little boy gets dragged to hell... You know, when the film is called Drag Me to Hell, and if you're cursed in this manner, you're pretty much done. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah, and I love that the film, like, as you you said, Sam Raimi has a tendency to kind of be a bit goofy and the tone kind of swings all over the place. And I think that Drag Me to Hell could have actually been um, quite forgettable or... Maybe not forgettable, but but kind of like it is quite goofy in places and it feels like fluffy horror in places. But the fact that it has the balls to fulfill its own threat, which is the title, Drag Me to Hell. Mm. The fact that it ends on on Christine actually being dragged to hell and the title booms up like, yeah, we told you, it's Drag Mm. Me to Hell. I think that gives the film lingering impact and kind of like a rewatchability that it wouldn't have necessarily had if she had lived at the end i like it when the title doesn't come up until the end of a film because it almost makes it almost makes the whole film a pre-credits sequence to a much larger story yeah i doesn't it come up twice in this film i think it comes up right at the start and does it end again that's my theory i think both times I think both times we see the title, it's when someone has been dragged to hell. Right. So it's right after the kid does, and then it's right after Christine does at the end. I do wish that the little Mexican kid at the start of the film came back. I wish there was more Mm. of a connection rather than just reintroducing the Mexican seance lady. 
I wouldn't need the kid to come back. He's he's in hell. <laughs> I think the the Mexican seer is is like the perfect loop back to that story. But but we're introduced to this kid. He goes to hell. Mm. But we're never introduced to him again. We don't need to be, do we? I just felt like I wanted to see him again. I wanted to see what the continuation of that story was. Well, he's in hell. I know, but, <laughs> but how does he get out of hell or what happens to him afterwards? He doesn't. The fact that he doesn't come back tells you everything you need to know about being dragged to hell. He is in hell, that's well, it. Well, I've done. never been dragged to hell. And <laughs> who should we have sympathy for? Mrs. Garnouche or Christine? It's an interesting question because we kind of have sympathy for both to a point you know Christine is so relatable and as Sam Raimi said I think he said something like um she's put in a situation where her punishment does not fit her crime um you know she's very much someone that we relate to as a regular human being we all know that feeling of um trying to make it in the big city trying to make something of ourselves she just wants to get a promotion that's going to be kind of a life changer for her and so we see her struggling with that with that idea and we see her struggling with what she has to do in order to prove that she's worthy of the job so it's we we feel for her and i think that the film is very clever in making us really feel for her the whole way through um and mrs garnish we have huge sympathy for at the beginning of the film oh, shame because me. she's so she's so desperate and yeah exactly you shamed me she's like Greta she's been shamed how dare you (laughs) I think that she Mrs Garnish isn't in the rest of the film when we see her again she's either dead or she's the the demon Lamia's um, version of Mrs Garnish yeah so we have sympathy for Mrs Garnish absolutely I kind of feel that with Christine she might not necessarily deserve everything that's happening to her because she is you know, you could say that she herself is a victim of capitalism in the same way that Garnouche is. You know, Garnouche is mm. at one end of the the power struggle, but Christine is, and I'm looking at this through 2021 eyes, this is not a 2009 reading of the film. A 2021 mm. reading of the film is that Christine is a victim of the capitalist system especially in a banking system where she is clearly being held back because she is a woman her boss doesn't treat her with the same respect as he treats the new recruit who is seemingly Mm -hmm. placed immediately on the same level as her and they're both in running for this this promotion that they are competing for and she only gets the promotion once the new guy Stu is revealed as a thief yeah exactly she almost gets yeah, it as she... a booby prize like oh well i guess i'll have it have to give it to you because there's no one else yeah yeah i don't know i could i couldn't figure out if she got the job because she basically did all the right things whereas Stu was underhand and revealed himself revealed his true nature um and so that's why he, he kind of like sabotages himself basically his mm-hmm. own inner saboteur um so i don't know i don't know that that she wins it kind of by default i think that he does mess up massively so she she wins it on her own terms 
even if she does like have a massive nosebleed all over her boss, <laughs> sprays blood all over him. Yeah, those moments where some bodily fluid gags happen, like the nosebleed, or when uh-huh. the the corpse of Garnouche sort of green vomits into her mouth, they're almost uh-huh. forgotten immediately and never brought up again. So I wonder if it if though if that's in Christine's head. Did you not notice how basically all the horrible things that happen to Christine are really orally fixated. Like they're all about things happening to her mouth. Yeah, she gets gummed in the chin at one point. Right. So that's, I feel like there's, there's plenty, there's tons of stuff on the internet about this where we get all these little clues about the fact that Christine used to be fat. She used to be a chubby child. Yeah. There's a Polaroid of, of, of her as a kid when she looks a bit bigger. Um, and, uh, you know, she she's... Avoid, you don't really see her eating any food until eventually she's in like a, a, the real down the dumps and she devours an entire tub of ice cream. Yeah. So I, there's like a reading of the film that basically is this is a, a bulimic person who's really struggling with um, food and, you know, and, you know, that kind of like image and stuff. And so when this demon attaches itself to her, Everything it does to her, everything that's horrifying to her is to do with being having stuff put in her mouth and, um, you know, having been force fed stuff, essentially. So it's I find it really fascinating that that's in there. And Sam Raimi has never really talked about it. He's never been asked about, is this a metaphor for bulimia or is this was that just an aspect that um, was kind of a flaw in well, not a flaw in Christine's character, but like something that a demon could take advantage of in Christine um, that manifested in like horror movie style. Hmm. I don't see that myself. If you watched it again, like I, I didn't think that when I first saw it, but watching it this time, having read these theories about she's a bulimic, it's all there. Like there's a, there's a shot right at the beginning of the film where when we first meet her, she looks in a cake window and then kind of shakes her head and carries on walking to work. And the first time she tries to eat, um, that we see her trying to eat, an eye appears in the cake and she can't eat the cake. And like the fly, there's a fly that goes into her nostril and then she feels it buzzing around in her stomach. <laughs> and then it comes out at the most inopportune moment when she's having dinner with her boyfriend's parents for the first time. The so it's, it's all... The lovely Justin Long. The lovely Justin Long. So, is this film racist? I was thinking that the whole way through because every single character that is in any way spiritual is a person of color. Um, so the 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 palm reader that she goes to visit is played by um, Dilip. Is it Dilip Rao as Ram Jazz? Dilip Rao. Yeah. The, the Mexican seer is played um, by. Oh, what was her name? forgot what her name was um oh adriana barraza and then there's another one there's a third oh mrs garnish oh mrs garnish of course so stupid she must be hungarian but she's of gypsy origin yeah so she's very much set up as the stereotypical hollywood gypsy where don't cross them because they're gonna curse you yeah and she looks and talks like a stereotypical gypsy yes um or are we allowed to say gypsy like an eastern european person yeah because they're roma gypsies it's fine. Gypsy is right. a, gypsy is their religion. It's their way yeah. of life. I think that it's definitely something that it would maybe not have been thought of mm-hmm. in 2009. Like the film was written 10 years before that. So the script oh. 
was actually from around the year 2000 before Sam Raimi got stuck in Spider-Man land. So yeah, I think that the film definitely buys into, you know, the magical properties of not being white Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It really plays into that. And it made me slightly uncomfortable. But it's definitely tapping into this bullshit thing that, you know, Johnny and Jane Foreigner will always be a threat to the wasp yeah. way of life. And, you know, the David Baddiel has this this um, concept, or he, he writes about this concept in his book, Jews Don't Count, that um, whiteness is almost like Schrodinger's whiteness. So <laughs> your whiteness the individual's whiteness is always in the eye of the beholder. So people would look at me and say, look at that white guy. But other Mm. people would look at me and say, look at that Jew. Mm. For some people, I am not white. I'm a Jew. Mm. For other people, I'm too white. So it's all about what the other person thinks. So in this film... The major outsiders are the Johnny foreigners who do all the mystical Mm -hmm. shit. But then to Justin Long's family, Christine is not wasp enough. She's not the right kind of white for Justin Long. Mm -hmm. So there's a really weird dynamic that probably Sam Raimi and his brother, who I think he wrote this with, probably weren't even thinking of that. This is not that sort of film. No. But those kind of themes are very... You know, it's it's really ingrained in a lot of mystical horror Hollywood shit. It's playing. It plays around with the tropes. It's very much, um, you know, the the scary gypsy woman is a trope, and the Mexican um, kind of uh, dark magic seer person is very much a trope as well. Yeah. So I think that it's very tropey. But um, it, um, I had a point and I've just completely talked myself out of what it actually was. Um, well, the biggest trope is the seance scene. Yeah. And I just think it's silly because there's so many fantastical moments to it that everything is fantastical. So therefore, nothing is fantastical and it just becomes an exercise in what other spiritual shit can we throw at this scene there's even a fucking goat mm. talking <laughs> yeah. oh, hello christine <laughs> you're going to hell so i just <laughs> i can't i was kind of like almost done with the film by that point i thought it was really really fucking silly well that's funny that you said that because when i i remember when i first watched the film um i didn't I didn't really know much about Sam Raimi, the tone that I talked about before, where he does have really scary stuff and then he has super duper goofy stuff like a fly going into a person's nose and living in their belly for a while and and a talking goat. And I remember the first time I watched the film, when the goat started talking, I was like, oh, I think this has gone too far into (laughs) stupid now. I don't like it anymore. But actually now, now I know it's coming, I actually love it. So I don't care anymore as much as I did the first time. Because he seems to Um, want to have his cake and eat it too with this this film where it's all horror, horror, horror and quite nasty, gruesome horror. You know, if this was, Hmm. if this was made in the early 80s when he when he was making his evil dead film then the blood would still be caked on her face and the vomit would still be all caked on her chin but then Mm. he wants to have his comedy moments and i think 
the goat is too much it completely undermines what is meant to be a very scary pivotal moment in the film and it is really tense because the actress um who the the adrienne adriana barraza she's actually really scary seance lady yeah when she gets possessed and she starts she like gets her hand on the table and her teeth go scary and her eyes go all white and she starts she's actually really quite creepy and then when the goat happens you're like oh okay we're back in xena warrior princess territory (laughs) why do they have talking goats in xena xena Xena. No, Z- Sam Raimi um, was a creator of Xena Warrior Princess, and that show oh. was very similarly tonally bizarre. Like it would have storylines about mass genocide, <laughs> and then suddenly it would have like a really silly um, kind of side episode about someone trying to become a fishmonger, or you know, just completely random tonally. How very domestic! And that's what this film is like. How very domestic. <laughs> yeah. Is Sam Raimi a auteur? Um, not in the traditional sense, I wouldn't say, because he's done the Hollywood thing and he's done the indie filmmaker thing, and you know he produces a lot of other stuff as well. I think he's, I think he's just like a, a genre fan. He just loves working in genre, but I don't think that makes him an auteur. He's clearly having a ball here. He's clearly yeah. He's off, having so much fun off the leash. You know, he did three back-to-back Spider-Man films, and they are aside from the um, the Doctor Octopus scene in that second film when Doctor Octopus is having you know the operations, and you get all the Sam mm. Raimi shadows and and tangles and stuff. Yeah, but aside from that, those Spider-Man films are quite. I mean, they could be anyone directing. So it's strange yeah. that they would be so oh we've got sam Ramy. you kids are gonna mm-hmm. love this but really they just stripped away everything that everyone seems to love about sam Ramy. but here he's mm. he's off the leash he's having such a ball but it's just strange because since this he's only directed one other film and that is oz the great and powerful and i haven't seen it yeah, but i've which, seen clips and it looks looks pretty dire good. and again stripped of his personality yeah, but he's going back to comic book terrain because he's doing the new Doctor Strange film. Yes, he is. and I, Which I think is a perfect match, actually. Well, is it? Or are they just going to have him adhere to the Marvel vision? Because I can't imagine they're going to say, oh, that's, you know what Marvel really needs? We need a Sam Raimi vision in this film. Marvel have their template and Marvel have their way of doing things. Uh, but I think that Sam Raimi has the right kind of brain and the right kind of visual intention that he'll be able to to kind of pump up the visuals um, and kind of do zany stuff and know how to do the zany stuff you know like so going into um going into drag me to hell right after spider-man 3 was a fantastic move because he'd learn all this stuff working on huge blockbusters He's, he'd learn how to use cgi and practical effects yeah. and and um get the most out out of his money kind of thing and he does with drag me to hell you know you've got a real mix of cgi and and practical effects and it looks brilliant i still think even what 10 11 years later it still looks great it looks very slick yeah and i was surprised at how slick it was yeah like you can tell that every single thing has been thought about right down to the fact that when christine gets dragged into hell you see her face changing yeah you know, dying, her face turning into a dead face as she's dragged down. It's like all these little things that are just like 
you know, the Hollywood magic that he's learned from Spider-Man. The Hollywood magic. It's Tom Savini. The spritz of Hollywood. It's Stan Winston. 2009 <laughs> was an odd time for horror, I think. J-horror had come mm. and gone. Gorno had died a quick death. Blumhouse yeah. hadn't yet hit big. 2009 doesn't seem to have a... It just doesn't seem to have a film that's indicative of horror. The other films from that year mm. that dragged me to hell came out were Zombieland, uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, Antichrist, Jennifer's Body, The Final Destination, The Unborn, The Friday the 13th remake, but not one represents the period in which it came out. There mm. seemed to be this sort of limbo era when horror didn't know which way it wanted to go. Yeah. And there was Jennifer's Body as well, which was, I rewatched that recently and it's such a weird film it's, i've never seen it i think you would hate it <laughs> it's really it feels kind of like a 90s film it's kind of like it's got a real indie vibe to it because it was jason reitman um but it's not it doesn't feel like a complete film it, it's such an it's so odd again tonally it's all over the place yeah i feel like the not the noughties really struggled to to identify what they wanted to do with horror mm. You know, I think that horror obviously goes in, in waves. It comes and goes in trends. And the trend in the noughties was just kind of like, eh, like, don't really know what we're doing. Well, I was never much of a fan of the Gorno stuff, like Hostel mm. and that kind of shit. And mm-hmm. J-horror, you know, I like Ringu and the original Grudge, but the remakes and some of the sequels of the originals don't really hold up a candle. And I hate zombies. <laughs> so, so I was kind of kind of buggered in that sense. The music to this film I really liked. Mm. By a guy called Christopher Young. It felt like... A guy called Christopher Young. A guy called Christopher Young. <laughs> He's the guy who did The Omen. I'm not sure he did do The Omen. He did Hellraiser 2. He did Urban Legend. He did Copycat with your favourite. Urban Legend. He did yes. Copycat. Sinister. The Fly and The Fly 2. The Informers. The Grudge. The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So he's done a lot in the horror genre. Freddy's Revenge. Um, but it did feel very Danny Elfman-like. So I guess if you can't get Danny Elfman, just get Christopher Young. Yeah, he's 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 really good. And I like I really like the the Christine theme. It's like a really nice, delicate, kind of upbeat kind of theme tune. And then when it gets into all the dark stuff, it's really grand and operatic. Would you watch this again? Absolutely. I love it. I love that it flirts so overtly with being ridiculous. I love that. And, and, you know, yes, it goes too far in places, but I just think it's just a really solid horror. You love Christine. I thought she, I really, really felt for her. I thought she was a great lead character. And I love the fact that Raimi had the balls or the guts to just kind of go for the, 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 the sad ending. You know, just to actually fulfil the, the deadly promise of the title. It is very anti-Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah. Would you watch it again? I think I'd watch bits of it again. Mm. Or potentially I'd watch... I think the only way I'd watch it again is if I watched it with my friend Michael so I could see him react to those uh-huh. fucking jump cuts. Yeah. Because <laughs> I love watching him scream or I love watching him get surprised. I usually like... If I'm at his house, I'll hide somewhere, then creep out and scare him. <laughs> I do that all the time. It's so much fun. But the thing is, Tom does it effortlessly because Tom, I often walk into a room that has no lights on and he's just standing in the room looking at his phone. 
Oh, he's not like, like in the ah! corner because the Blair Witch told he's him just, to. He just, he's like wandered into the bedroom with, and left the lights off. And then he suddenly something's caught his attention on his phone and he'll stand there just looking at his phone. And then I'll walk in, think, expecting an empty room because the lights are off. And then there's a figure standing there. He's never looking over an ancient book, is he? <laughs> yeah. Looking for whatever's He's cursing a button. <laughs> breathing, going in your cupboard and go, <sighs> breathing on all your buttons. <laughs> Have some garlic. <laughs> That was Drag Me to Hell, directed by Sam Raimi. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify so you don't miss that episode. And Joshua, how can people tweet us? (laughs) (laughs) By using their fingers. We are on Twitter at TornStubsPod. Come let us know if you enjoy Drag Me to Hell as well. We are off to breathe on some buttons. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. Cut.